Broadcast friends, welcome back. This is Corbett Report Radio, and you are tuned into Republic Broadcasting. Of course, I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you live this Monday evening on March 5th, 2012. And of course, it is the 6th already for me here in Japan across the dateline. So wherever you are in the world tonight, thank you once again for tuning into the broadcast. And tonight we have an interesting, very interesting conversation lined up about something that's really part of the bigger, bigger picture that we see unfolding and is behind, well, I think a lot of the things that we see unfolding in the world around us. And once you start to understand that bigger picture, I think a lot of the the minutia of the details that we look at on a day-to-day basis here on the program start to come into view. So what am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about a subject that we've broached on this broadcast many times in the past and that I've also looked at in a lot of my videos and other work through CorbettReport.com, and that is technocracy. And specifically, one one of the main goals of the, the current technocratic movement, which is to institute and implement the global smart grid. So that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. And tonight we have a very interesting guest lined up for you. We're going to be talking to Patrick Wood, who is the editor of the August Forecast and Review at augustforecast.com. And he founded the August Corporation on October 11, 1975. He's a registered investment advisor with the Securities and Exchange Commission. And the company initially offered portfolio management services to investors in the U.S. until 1980. And uh, the August Forecast and Review is uh, an excellent resource. He's also the author of numerous book uh, books on well on a range of subjects, including Smart Grid, the Implementation of Technocracy. So, Patrick Wood, it's great to have you on the program tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. You're entirely welcome. My pleasure to be here. Well, uh, this is your first time on the broadcast, and we only have a couple of minutes here before the first break. So why don't you start by giving us the, the bullet point to biography of Patrick Wood? Well, I started my uh, search for uh, my studies on the global elite back in the 1970s um, in partnership with a professor of economics uh, by the name of Anthony Sutton. Uh, he was uh, a research fellow at the Hoover Institution at Stanford, and uh, we had stumbled across um, uh, a group that we later identified as a key global elite uh, pushing the new economic world order. And uh, so we began to write. We began to study and do some original research and write about uh, this group and about global elitism and the globalization process. And here we are 35 years later. Professor Sutton passed away, by the way, in 2002. And um, so I'm, I'm carrying the torch forward, so to speak, with our original study and pushing it forward, too, with, uh, with, our, with my study now into the technocracy. And it uh, seems to fit hand in glove, as we'll find out. I think we'll find out as we, as we talk along here. But that's kind of it in a nutshell. Absolutely right. Well, I think, as, as you mentioned there, I think the technocracy is just such a key ingredient to, to the bigger picture that's unfolding and that you've been looking at for four decades now. And, of course, Anthony Sutton will be familiar to many of my longtime listeners since we've highlighted some of his work before on such excellent works as Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution, Wall Street and the Rise of Hitler, Wall Street and FDR, uh, just some groundbreaking uh, work that he's done on that and, and many other uh, parts besides. So um, great to have someone who was involved with him in that research. And uh, tell us a little bit about the August Corporation and the August Forecast and Review. Well, I, I established the August Review and August Forecast to write about these things, about uh, you know our studies in uh, the Trilateral Commission and, and global elitism and globalization and so on. But 
I also write an investment advisory newsletter called Findings and Forecasts, which is part of the August forecast idea. And uh, so I'm, I'm still staying abreast of, uh, you know, economic issues, political issues, and financial issues. So uh, that's kind of it in a nutshell, too. The review looks backwards, forecast looks forward. Exactly right. Well, once again, August, augustforecast.com is where you can go to find some of that and some of uh, Patrick Wood's other writings. But for now, we'll take a short break. And when we come back, we'll start getting into the global smart grid and technocracy's endgame right here on Corbett Report Radio. Hang tight. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to the broadcast, friends. We're here on Corbett Report Radio live on this Monday evening going over the global smart grid with our guest Patrick Wood of AugustForecast.com. And I'll just read to you the opening line of a very important article on this subject called Technocracy's Endgame Global Smart Grid that Patrick Wood posted to AugustForecast.com last June, which uh, begins by saying, The dark horse of the New World Order is not communism, socialism, or fascism. It is technocracy. And I think that hits the uh, the nail on the head, and that's something that I've tried to hammer home to people on this broadcast before, that technocracy is really this organizing concept that uh, the the would-be social engineers and the would-be rulers of this planet uh, believe is guiding them on their little quest to, to institute world government and all of the other things that we see coming into view in so many different ways. So it's important to understand the different types of ways that this is being implemented. And, of course, the global smart grid is definitely one of them. So it's an exciting topic to, to be delving into tonight. And I wanted to start by maybe drawing out some of the, uh, the idea of what the smart grid is and how people are going to start seeing it more and more uh, encroaching into their own personal lives. So let's start with just the, the microcosm of people, the average person living in the United States. What is the smart grid and how is it going to affect them? Well, the smart grid is, um, uh, in, in simple terms, that people are experiencing right now, is the replacing of the old analog power meters on the side of your home that's with the little spinning wheels in them that tell you how much power you're using with new digital um, meters that are able to communicate automatically back to the utility company uh, not only your consumption and usage just in a general sense from your house, but also these new meters, these new digital meters, are able to communicate with devices inside your house as well. For instance, your stove or your air conditioner or your washer and dryer, the, the, in other words, the things that use power uh, inside your home. And collectively, when a, when a smart grid system is put in place like this across a state or a, or a city or whatever, it gives the... Uh, it gives the utility uh, the opportunity to literally look into your house to see what you're running, uh, what your power consumption profile is, and then in addition to stratify your the rates that they will charge you uh, for the power you're consumed. So you might not be able to use your washer and dryer in the afternoon, but you might be able to use it at 3 o'clock in the morning at a cheaper rate. And um, they also have the ability to control those devices within your home uh, by either setting your thermostat or shutting off certain devices and stuff in your home without your permission necessarily. If they feel that those power-consuming things need to be shed from the grid temporarily, and uh, it basically is going to give them control over your over the energy consumption in your home. 
And uh, this is where the point of resistance is coming in America right now and some other countries as well. Well, that's right, and it's important that to note they, that this people isn't... People feel that this is a, just a gross violation of privacy. Well, exactly right, and it's important to understand that this isn't just a theoretical thing at, at this point. Um, it's actually being implemented already, and uh, even on the campaign trail in, for the presidential election back in 2008, Obama made a mention of the idea of, oh, you aren't going to be able to keep your thermostat at whatever level you like anymore, and that type of thing, talking about the need to conserve energy. And uh, people thought that might have just been an offhand comment or something, but soon thereafter we saw uh, California and other places proposing regulations whereby the, uh, the energy companies would be able to go in and, and basically use that, yeah. the, uh, the uh, smart grid to, to turn on or turn off thermostats and all sorts of other things. And, and this is the exact technology that would allow them to implement that. And as I understand, it's already being implemented um, in a very widespread scale across the United States. It is across the, world, the United States and also throughout the world. And since you mentioned Obama in 2008, it's really important for people to understand that this rush to smart grid uh, to the actual implementation of smart grid did not happen until 2009 with the uh, with the spending of stimulus money on smart grid projects in other words uh, the government in a kind of a clandestine way used the bailout money the stimulus money to uh, to pour into smart grid operations with utility companies around this country and it kickstarted this little mini industry, if you will, to implement all these new meters around the country. And uh, before that, there was no public demand for this. The technology existed, but nobody really wanted it. And so, you know, in fact, it's been around for 10 years, and the public basically just turned their nose up against it. So this is something that's being forced from the executive branch of this government, uh, in particular by, by the Obama administration at this point, even though it was underway in the Bush administration as already, um, uh, you know, this, this is something that's very new, very recent. Um, they haven't had a 20-year head, running head start at this. Obama basically pulled the trigger on it with stimulus money in 2009, and now it's racing at breakneck speed across the country to be implemented. Unfortunately so, and of course the smart meters themselves are really just the thin edge of the wedge of the smart grid in total, and I think people are starting to see this with the rollout of various technologies with the uh, the wonderful adjective smart appended to them at the beginning to make it sound like some sort of great, wonderful technology that's going to save us. But as I understand it, I mean, as this technology gets more developed, it's going to be uh, basically starting to wire all of our appliances and everything into a, a collectivized sort of Internet of Things that will start monitoring all of the various aspects of what's going on in our household. That is exactly the intent. And uh, the appliances are already being manufactured that have smart grid technology built into them. If you go down to your local Sears store or wherever you buy appliances from, and you look at the back of some of these device, devices and you talk to uh, the salespeople, and you ask them, say, I want a smart device. I want one of those, I want one of those smart washers or smart dryers or smart refrigerators or whatever. And you go look at the back of it and you read the, you know, read the documentation and stuff. You'll find out that the things are pre-wired already, uh, at least many of them are, to communicate with that smart meter on the side of your house. 
uh, for two-way communication and two-way control. And if people don't understand how this is an invasion of privacy, you need to think about this for a second. If you're using your washer and dryer, they know about it. If you're taking a shower and your water heater's running, they know about it. If you're running your air conditioner, they know you're home. They know when you're not home by the power that you don't use when you're not home. So basically, they can they can get a picture of everything you're doing inside your house based on the consumption of power by the various devices that you have in your home. It's an absolute, you know, 1984-style invasion of privacy. Um, and just imagine if the if your energy profile got got hacked by uh, some computer nerd somewhere. Uh, or a neighborhood got hacked, they would know exactly when people are home, exactly when they're not home, exactly the kind of valuable appliances that they're running inside their home. They would know when to back the truck up to your driveway to uh, to pop the garage door to take everything out of your house. Uh, it's just a technology that is the end of privacy, basically. It's the end of well, privacy. Well, ex- exactly right. And, of course, you raise the uh, the specter of Orwell's 1984, and Orwellian is certainly the adjective that pops to mind when I think about this type of technology. But then again, you and I have been immersed in this for some years, taking a look at this technocratic uh, enslavement grid that they're slotting into place and understanding the scale and scope of it. But I think to the average person out there who might not be aware of these issues and the implications of these issues, they might just be looking at this technology as, as something different entirely. So perhaps we should go over the, the sort of PR rollout of this and what they're saying this type of technology is good for. Well, what they're, what they're saying is good for is, is that uh, it will give consumers the ability to better manage their, uh, you know, their power consumption within their home, like, you know, be a good little citizen and play along. And they show the iPad application, you know, that lets you uh, dial in remotely and, uh, you know, turn this light off and that light off, start your washing machine, that sort of stuff. Uh, control your thermostat, you know, big, big whoop. But even if it gives you a look into it, you're going to pay more for the power that you use in the end. And uh, nevertheless, they're going to know everything that you do uh, and be able to set policies that will put constraints on you when you cannot, cannot use power in your own home. Well, I think that's really the point. It's not just the, uh, the the information itself, but also how that information can then be used in a, in a controlling fashion. And I think the obvious thing to be looking at here is the way that uh, that whatever scare they come along with, peak oil or whatever type of uh, energy scare that they come up with, it will be an excuse for the government to reach further and further into the average life of the average person in the United States and elsewhere around the world. Well, it is, and... You know, smart grid, the implementation of smart grid in the United States, it, just by itself, would be of concern to Americans, I think, just because, you know, just, it's just something that we don't want the government to do in general. And most people, when they discover what, what just smart grid is on a local basis, they, nobody has a good feeling about it. I haven't run across anybody yet anywhere that said, oh boy, I can't wait to get some, get my smart meter. <laughs> you know, everybody's like, what? What? I don't want that on my house. And uh, there is a lot of resistance and pockets of resistance around the country right now. But when you consider that the same thing is happening in other countries around the world at the same time with the same MO, in other words, stimulus money being used to jumpstart projects around the countries, you've got Mexico, 
You've got Canada. You've got Iceland. You've got European countries. You've got Great Britain. You've got countries in Africa. You've got Asia. China is rushing to it. You've got uh, India is rushing to it. And it's the same smart grid tech, the same meters, the same idea is being uh, thrust upon countries all over the world in the same time frame with the same money, pretty much under the you know under the radar of of any uh, you know citizen action group. And when you cons- when you then look at some of the global organizations that are talking about a global smart grid that the United States would tie into, in other words, a larger smart grid where the United States would just be one element of it, you have to step back and ask the question, who, wait a minute, who is doing this and why are they doing it? This cannot possibly happen by accident. Exactly right. The same uh, technology being implemented at the same time to the same specifications. It's almost like there's a global agreement in place already. And on that note, we'll take a short break and we'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to the program, friends. You are tuned into Corporate Report Radio, and tonight we are talking with Patrick Wood of AugustForecast.com about the smart grid and technocracy. And we've just been looking at some of the finer points of that, including the smart meters and other ways that this technology is being introduced into our daily lives. But we're starting to expand the scope of the uh, the conversation into the global smart grid. And uh, we already have one caller waiting on the line. If you want to get in on tonight's conversation, of course, it's 1-800-313-9443. That's 1-800-313-9443, and we'll get you up and on the air. But just before we go to the phone lines, uh, Patrick, I wanted to take a look at uh, an interesting part of that uh, that article that I mentioned earlier, Technocracy's Endgame, Global Smart Grid, where you start talking about the ways that this uh, really is already starting to be implemented in numerous countries with the mind of unifying all of these various smart grids into a, a, a unified system. And you give the example, of course, of what's happening in Canada, Mexico, and the U.S. simultaneously with the end game of that being a an integrated North American smart grid. So perhaps you can talk about the way this is going to link up in the, in the, in, in the end game, I guess, of this technocratic uh, power ploy. Well, you have to actually, the best way is to look at the picture of the global energy map to see how, uh, how engineers and scientists are, are anticipating tying the entire global smart grid into a single entity. And uh, basically, technology does exist today to allow for high-speed energy transmission between continents. In other words, intercontinental uh, movement of energy, of raw energy. And um, the idea of tying all of the energy networks of the world together into a single network is to control and enforce policies that would uh, that would um, uh, that would enforce those policies um, on a what I want to say on a routine basis throughout the entire world. And um, this uh, this global energy network is clearly drawn out uh, on organizational websites like the. Uh, like the Global Energy Network Institute, for instance, geni.org. People could go there and look at this map and say, who on earth dreamed this up? Well, in that particular case, the, the Global Energy Map was actually dreamed up originally by a very well-known, uh, famous uh, uh, technocrat-type person uh, by the name of R. Buckminster Fuller. And, uh, you know, they're... 
they're enlisting engineers and scientists and and organizations such as the uh, IEEE, um, uh, you know, electrical engineers organization around the world to build standards for this global network to be put together. This is not an idle speculation is what I'm saying. It's actually underway right now, uh, running in tandem with the national implementation of smart grid. <laughs> They're planning on bringing this whole thing together into a single global energy management network. Unfortunately so, and of course the technocrats are always thinking two or three moves ahead in this global chess game that, they're, uh, that they think they're playing with our world, like it's their little toy, as Bob Dylan said. But on that note, uh, let's turn to the phone lines. We have Chris in Las Vegas waiting patiently on the line. So Chris, thank you for your call tonight. What's on your mind? Good evening, James and Patrick Wood. I want to first apologize to Patrick. I may have caused him some uh, misadvertisement inadvertently by describing him as Dr. Patrick Wood. And I certainly want to thank him and point out that his graphics on his little short 17-and-a-half-minute video at his augustforecast.com website show the interesting little clouds off to the left side of the smart grid depictions of the graphics that he uses, which allude to the cloud satellite network security system that links to the fusion centers of data assimilation here on America. And further, this, this particular smart grid scheme goes back much farther than we know. It goes back to the 1961 Strom Thurmond National Defense Authorization Act. It coincidentally occurred simultaneously with the 1961 Kennedy Program, Public Law 87-297, the base Closing, base realignment and closing activities, BRAC plan. And coincidentally, the, there are military aspects in the funding, although it comes from the DOE for the SMART scheme program to make, and I'm going to borrow one of your words, James, a panoptonic, panopticonic bars for wires prison out of everyone's home and couple it with a electronic weapons of mass destruction psychologic electronic torture system to be applied specifically to the inhabitants of that home, making every home a prison and a torture chamber for military rab rat experiments per 10-2358 UFC. Well, there is absolutely no doubt that the powers that uh, that are capable with this type of smart grid technology, I mean, the powers that it gives the central controllers and technocrats is is quite overwhelming. But uh, do you have a question for Patrick? Well, I, I suspect Patrick is probably already aware of these militaristic plans to utilize this in a particularly offensive and abusive experimental fashion. But if not, I'd be glad to share some of the language from this act that I have highlighted if he's interested well i'll tell you what why don't you send them why don't you send them all on to james and james can send them on to me uh, i would certainly be interested to look at it i would be pleased to do that excellent all right well chris we'll have to leave it there we're coming up against the break thank you for the call and once again if you want to get in on tonight's conversation 1-800-313-9443 we're talking to patrick wood of augustforecast.com and we'll be right back with more on the global smart grid right after this yeah. 
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Back to the broadcast, friends. We're here on Corbett Report Radio this evening going over the global smart grid, or what our guest Patrick Wood of AugustForecast.com has called technocracy's endgame. And I think this is uh, an important point to, to draw out. We've been dancing around the word the whole night, and I would certainly hope that most of my listeners are already familiar with it. But, of course, the question is begged in the title itself. What is technocracy, and, and what is the nature of this? And I would certainly hope that people would at least be able to guess at the meaning of that word from its uh, from its roots. Obviously, something to do with uh, technical uh, aspects of, of engineers and that type of thing, having power and the, uh, the the power of government, i.e. technocracy like democracy. Except in this case, it, I think most people would be surprised still to learn that this is in fact the name of an actual political movement that, that came about in the 1930s and that there is an actual documented history to this. So, uh, Patrick Wood, perhaps we can start moving into the, some of the history of technocracy and where this idea really comes from. Well, that's, uh, that's really necessary to understand what's going on today. And uh, in the 1930s, in the heat of the Great Depression, um, there was an organization called Technocracy, Inc. It was the first time that, uh, that the concept, the philosophy of technocracy really congealed uh, into a physical organization. And it was wildly popular for a while because it offered a replacement, if you will, for capitalism, which many people felt had failed and died during the Great Depression. I can certainly understand how somebody might have thought that. We're kind of thinking the same thing today. Uh, but back then, uh, the engineers and scientists figured that uh, since uh, capitalism had died and man had screwed the world up so bad that it couldn't possibly be repaired, uh, they rather egotistically felt that um, that they had the answers, as scientists and engineers, that the world needed to be managed according to people who knew what the heck they were doing. And so they actually constructed documents and a very, a very careful architecture of what their society would look like. It was uh, a partially a political, a political system. It was a philosophy. It was partly an economic um, uh, philosophy. Uh, but together, it proposed a brand-new engineered society that would be run by them for the good of us, for the good of all. And uh, very pointedly, they stressed creating a system of balance where the consumption was balanced with the Earth's ability to produce resources, to, you know, to, to take care of mankind. So they, they very much um, favored an energy-based accounting system that would uh, measure prices instead of just supply and demand type price, would measure the prices of material according to the energy it took to create the, those items. And um, uh, they envisioned, uh, you know, kind of a utopian society where everybody would get uh, energy credits every month or every quarter, that they could spend their energy credits on whatever goods they wanted to buy. But when they ran out, they were out. They couldn't save them up until another period. Um, they expired at the end of a period. The only problem with technocracy back in those days is that the, the technology did not exist to do it. In other words, they had early computers, like with IBM, but 
the they they didn't really have the the, the build out of technology that could achieve the far reaching goals that they set down on their documents. And uh, fortunately for us, in a way, technocracy fizzled by 1940. And uh, everybody thought uh, it died and it would just went away. But alas, we find out now that it did not die at all. The philosophy has stayed alive in the halls of academia and is now coming back uh, very strongly with uh, the same principles, the same architectural design that that was created back in the 1930s. And uh, this is what makes smart grids so doggone disturbing. Is be- It's because the requirements that were written in 1932 for a successful technocracy are the requirements that are being met today by the implementation of smart grid. And, exactly. Uh, it, exactly right. Yeah. And one thing that I found particularly interesting about this that I didn't know actually until I read this article of yours, uh, Technocracy's Endgame Global Smart Grid, once again available at augustforecast.com. Uh, I didn't realize that one of the key people who, who came up with the, the formalization of that back in the 1930s was a young geophysicist by the name of M. King Hubbard, who just happened to later come up with the peak oil theory. That's right. And it's a little bit more than just a casual relationship. M. King Hubbard was the was the only engineering talent in Technocracy Inc. in those early days. His uh, the founder or kind of the promoter, if you will, was a man by the name of Howard Scott, who claimed he was an engineer, but as it turned out in the end, he was not an engineer. He never graduated from any engineering school whatsoever. And uh, he partnered up with, uh, with M. King Hubbard to create Technocracy, Inc. They actually were roommates in New York for a time in, in, in the village. And uh, they cooked this up together, and M. King Hubbard provided virtually all of the text that went into the original document, which was called the Technocracy Study Course. And that included the requirements for, uh, for, the, for Smart Grid, if you will the management of energy and energy consumption and conversion. This was M. King Hubbard's baby from the get-go intellectually. Uh, Scott just kind of rode along on top of it and, you know, claimed, uh, you know, claimed some of the, uh, you know, guilt by association, if you will. But, uh, yes, uh, Hubbard did later go on to, uh, to establish the peak oil theory, it became very popular uh, in the 1970s when we had the big energy crisis back then. And um, now, today, Hubbard is actually uh, listed amongst the founding fathers of many eco-movements, including you know, all the sustainable development slash green slash whatever movements, look back to M. King Hubbard as one of their heroes and, you know, in a sense, fathers of the faith. <laughs> so he was a principal from day one in technocracy and probably uh, almost the sole guiding light for those early years. Well, I think you're exactly right, and I think you really hit the nail on the head with the the invocation of the word faith, because I think there is a, a very real religious aspect to this, which we can perhaps get into a little bit later. But uh, but on the idea of technocracy itself and the, the founding principle of 
being able to issue these energy credits and all of this as a, as a way of controlling society, obviously that appeals to the, uh, to the people above the technocrats, the people funding the technocrats who have their uh, fingers on the, the levers of power and the creation of money and all of the other ways that they can manipulate society. So I'm sure there are many uh, genuine engineers and, 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 and people in those uh, fields who, who truly believe in the uh, power of this idea, but it's the people who are puppeteering those who like the idea of control, I think. And, and I think you're exactly right to locate that in the green movement that has, uh, has sprung up in recent years, because we see the exact same ideas now being implemented just in a different, slightly different context, talking about carbon allowances. So, for example, back in 2009, Lord Smith of Finsbury argued that uh, everyone in Britain should be given a personal carbon allowance. And we've seen this idea come up time and time again. So I think you're exactly right. We're seeing the same things that being, being proposed right now as were proposed originally 80 plus years ago. Yes, and let me give you some historical perspective here. Technocracy, Inc. was originally housed in the basement at Columbia University in Hamilton Hall. And uh, they got booted out at some point, but the engineers, including uh, Hubbard, stayed at Columbia after that. And technocracy fell out of favor nationally, but conceptually, technocracy, the philosophy, continued on at Columbia University. In 1968, we find a young university professor uh, at Columbia University, the same place, uh, by the name of Zbigniew Brzezinski, who wrote a book called Between Two Ages, America's Role in the Technotronic Era. That book spring, springboarded Brzezinski into a partnership, if you will, with David Rockefeller to found the Trilateral Commission in 1973. That was one of their, that was his seminal work at the time. We had no idea when he said technotronic that he was talking about technocracy. Sutton had no idea of this either. And until about five years ago, when I started studying technocracy, I put two and two together and said, holy crud, this is the same stuff. I had to go back and reread his book again. To confirm this, after I understood about technocracy, and I said, this is the same diatribe that they had in the 1930s. So where did Brzezinski pick up the trail on technocracy? At Columbia University. Where did Columbia University get it? From the original technocrats that were housed in Hamilton Hall, whose engineers just continued on as uh, senior professors and stuff at Columbia after technocracy, Inc.'s demise. Are, are you following my trail with me? Did I explain it correctly? You did to me at any rate, and it is, I mean, it's just flabbergasting. The, the further you dig into this and the more layers of the onion you, you peel back, the more you just want to cry, because absolutely, it's all the same characters that we've identified in so many different fields in sort of disparate ways, but they're all connected through this this uh, ideology, which which I, again, I, th- I think in a cynical way is being used by the uh, the, the would-be social engineers as a, as a way of implementing a, a control grid. I think that's ultimately what it's about, and, uh, and certainly technocracy provides that idea and it's something that i think i mean of course it was formalized in the 1930s through technocracy inc but i think you're right to allude to the fact that it 
it had it pre-existed as a sort of a philosophy in the ether, as it were, for, for quite a while before we could at least look back to people like H.G. Wells writing in the early part of the 20th century about the, uh, the Freemasonry of science and the brotherhood of, uh, of, uh, for, uh, of engineers and all of that kind of stuff, as if this was going to be some wonderful thing when, of course, really at base, he was just a eugenicist who believed that there was a certain group of people who just deserved to rule over the rest of us because they were so much smarter. Exactly. Um, you, you've got the, the idea in, in 1973 uh, when the Trilateral Commission started to write, they wrote extensively about creating a new economic, a new international economic order. That, that was their phrase. Um, and it was throughout their writings. And Sutton and I wrote about that quite extensively. We didn't really know new international economic order. Well, what is that? Rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic or whatever. Uh, we really didn't understand it, but now with with the additional understanding of Technocracy Inc. from before, we now have to ask the question, when they said they were going to create a new international economic order, did they mean a new order according to technocracy? You see, that's the big question in my mind right now. Are they marching to a technocratic, uh, you know, drum all this all these years? Have they been trying to create a green economy that would replace the so-called brown economy? Uh, where it would be run according to energy, according to distribution and consumption of energy, where they would have control of the entire world based on that new economic system. And the way it looks now, with the implementation of smart grid, for instance, that this is exactly the plan and has been the plan since early the early 1970s. It's just being executed now, finally. Exactly right. And, and we are, as you say, at that point where technologically the, the technology itself is catching up to the ideas. And uh, what I find most worrying about this is the way that technocracy, I think, is really being reintroduced to the public in different guises. So there's the green movement for uh, for one section of the public that wants to buy into that and, and how we have to have these carbon allowances to save the earth or whatever whatever they want to say this week. But uh, but. Uh, there's also other ways that this is being snuck in the back door, I think. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with things like the, the Zeitgeist movement based on this uh, popular online Internet video that came out a few years ago. But it uh, has become embroiled with something called the Venus Project, which uh, which goes back to this French engineer who has these wonderful gleaming schematics of, of plastic cities that are going to be built and, and function like uh, perfect utopias because they don't rely on money anymore. They rely on a resource-based economy, and uh, it just seems like it's the exact same ideas that are being uh, basically ushered in for a new generation of people to buy. Well, I can tell you Zeitgeist and the Venus Project are 100% knockoffs of technocracy, and I have had arguments with both technocrats and Venus Project people who, who swear that there's no connection. But <laughs> if you read the die, if you just read it, look at it, you laugh because, you know, a, a fifth grader could have taken, uh, you know, taken the text, rearranged the words a little bit and come up with something different. But it says exactly the same thing, exactly the same stuff. So uh, it's, it's a knockoff, you know a knockoff of technocracy and there are other groups i have to say other than that around the world who are who are proposing these ideas and swear they have no connection with the original technocracy and they might not for all who knows they might not have any direct connection but that's where the ideas came from that's where they were architected originally i don't care how they got it it's the same stuff 
Unfortunately so, but of course all of this raises the question, what is it that we can really do about this? Because we look at things like the smart meters and the smart grid being slotted into place at a national and even international level through these these types of vast agreements that the average person doesn't even have any awareness of, let alone any input into. So it, it, it leaves the question, what could the average person do to start to combat these different ways that technocracy is trying to implement its global smart grid? It's interesting around America that many Americans are getting the idea that having the, the digital meters on the side of their home is an evil thing. <laughs> and uh, there is a, a lot of, uh, there are a lot of people um, that are refusing to allow the utility company to put these devices on their homes. Uh, there's uh, some people now are launching lawsuits to have them take, taken off of their homes for various reasons, from health reasons to being violation, you know, privacy violations and so on. But um, uh, being that it's a tangible, this is on my house sort of thing, a lot of individuals are starting to say, well, hey, this is a way that I can push back. I'm simply going to fight them putting this meter onto my house in the first place and, uh, and, and challenge them every step of the way, uh, you know, that they're just not going to do it. And so, you know, I, I think that's, you know, that's probably the first time uh, in the last 30 years that people have had anything individually tangible they can do to fight the system. You know, you can't go to the, uh, to the World Economic Forum meetings and have any policy input. <laughs> they don't let you do it. But people do have control over their own home, at least to some extent. And um, uh, so there is a lot of resistance in people just saying no to the utility companies when they come out to put the meter on the home. We ain't going to do it. Well, I think you're right. I mean, it has to start with people just taking over control and and reasserting their control over their own homes. And if people don't do that, then we really are lost as a society and as a civilization. So I think that must be the first step. And we have that phrase, getting off the grid. I mean, what what could be a more apt description of what people have to do in order to, to get rid of this smart grid? Well, you know, some people have determined that, uh, yes, they're going to, you know, just disconnect from the utility company altogether, and they're going to go out and do it on their own. And if they got the money, you know, if they're that rich, that they can do that, uh, more power to them. Uh, that certainly is not 99.9% of the rest of us. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're... Uh, you know, we're limited. In fact, uh, in Idaho right now, there's a case going on where uh, the utility company, after being refused entrance to a user's property, brought the sheriff out, armed, by the way, and uh, with a warrant to install this on. So there, anyway, there's a big brouhaha court fight going on right now, uh, whether or not the utility company has the right to use physical force for the implementation of these smart meters. Some chilling information, but once again, if we don't fight back, we're not going to win. So on that note, we'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. I am your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, broadcasting to you all the way from out in the land of the rising sun here on the, in the sunny climes of western Japan. And just on a uh, on a slight, slightly different note from tonight's conversation, I just want to thank all of those people who put in their orders for the 2010 Video Archive DVD that is now available for purchase through CorbettReport.com. I had a bunch of orders this weekend, so all of the orders that came in by Monday morning Japan time got mailed out yesterday. 
and uh, there will be another, another batch going out later this week. And of course, I'll send an email to each person as I as I ship their copy out. So once again, thank you so much for that and supporting the work here at CorbettReport.com. But returning to our conversation with Patrick Wood of AugustForecast.com. We've been talking about the smart grid and the technocratic movement behind it and all of these really overwhelming aspects. But again, we've been returning to the uh, the question of solutions and how people can, can really fight back against this system. And of course, it does come back to taking control of your own home and, and asserting your own, uh, your own rights and your own ability to, to determine what happens in your home. Of course, that's, that's really what fundamentally it all boils down to. Uh, the would-be rulers can make up whatever uh, agreements and, and uh, ideas they want at their, their World Economic Forum and other such uh, venues, but, uh, but if we don't go along with it, then it cannot be implemented. And I think, as always, forewarned is forearmed, so I think knowledge is power when it comes to issues like this, and if it, we don't understand the history and the, uh, the, the specific, specific instances of what we're fighting and, and who, it, who is behind it, I think we'll be lost forever. So on that note, uh, Patrick, would, what, what resources would you recommend on this for people who are really just becoming familiar with this subject but would like to learn more? Well, first and foremost, I would recommend that people go to augustforecast.com and read my section, the, the papers there, on technocracy. Um, there's several, and uh, they will find that those articles are footnoted and there's links and stuff for other uh, resources where they can springboard from there into more, re- you know, into other articles, other websites, other books and stuff and so on. If they want to go deeper, they can. If they don't want to go deeper, at least they could just read the papers and get a, you know, in an hour probably get a smattering of exactly what's going on. But that's as good a place as any to start some concentrated information on technocracy. And uh, my research on Technocracy Inc., by the way, took me all over the place. Uh, I even went up to, uh, uh, to Edmonton, to the University of Alberta, to, uh, to find the largest university archive of material from technocracy from the 30s. Spent a week up there and went through some 150 boxes worth of original documents to understand it. And um, uh, I, I share a lot of that research uh, in my articles and papers and stuff that I have on augustforecast.com. Very interesting. Well, as an Albertan myself, that, that is interesting information. And uh, tell us a little bit about your book, Smart Grid, The Implementation of Technocracy. Well, the, the paper that my... I, I bundled together my writings on technocracy and called them the technocracy papers, and that's that's one of the uh, one of the chapters, one of the elements in it. But um, <clears throat> when I start when I started studying technocracy and saw it's you know saw how it fit into this new international economic order, um, uh, I was kind of on a tear to start presenting it in a way that people could understand it, you know, linking it to to something that they already knew. Uh, it's not easy to do, I have to say, but you know, because nobody really knew anything about technocracy in the first place. So um, uh, my my goal was to try and present this whole topic in a context that could be understood through the history that we do know, and through you know current events that we do know and understand. So if I hit the mark on it, I you know great. I, I'm not. It's just a difficult thing to do because it was so brand new. Well, my hat's off to you for trying, because this is such an absolutely foundational concept that people really need to get their heads around, so I'm glad that you are raising awareness of this. Once again, Patrick Wood, augustforecast.com, and of course the links will be in tonight's show notes at corporatereport.com slash radio. Also on a programming note, I will not be on the program tomorrow. There will be someone else sitting in uh, as Republic Broadcasting goes through a pledge drive. I I will be busy interviewing Stefan Molyneux for the website, so stay tuned to CorbettReport.com for that. I know a lot of people have been asking 
inviting me to have Stefan on, so it should be an interesting conversation. On that note, talk to you on Wednesday. <laughs>